Good morning. All right. This morning we're going to continue our march to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've been in chapter 9 for the last few weeks, and, and that's okay. Um, we're going to be here probably for another couple of weeks uh, after this uh, week. Uh, again, that's okay. Chapter 9 has over 60 verses in it, so it would make sense that it would take us a few weeks to get through it. Uh, last week, we finished off a, a two-part message that I entitled, Following the Christ. And in our study, we identified who Jesus is as the Christ, uh, the anointed of the Lord, the Lord and Savior of all humanity. Uh, we looked at his mission as the Christ, how he was called to suffer many things, to be rejected, to uh, be killed, and to uh, then rise on the third day. Now, after identifying Jesus as the Christ and understanding his mission uh, as the Christ, we then looked at what it meant to be a follower of the Christ. And we noted how we, first of all, must have a desire within us to follow the Lord, a commitment, a resolve to follow him no matter what comes our way. And we looked at how we are called to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross daily and to follow the Lord wherever he leads. And then Jesus gave us three reasons why it would be foolish not to follow after him. Uh, Jesus brought up the fact that whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will gain it and save it. And in our study, we noted how, uh, you know, a good thing isn't a good thing if it stands in the way of something better. You know, Jesus brought up the worth of our soul, our eternal life, and we noted how no amount of earthly treasures or riches could ever equate to the value of one eternal soul. And then lastly, Jesus brought up his second coming, how he'd be ashamed of those who were ashamed of him. And, and we noted how Jesus wasn't ashamed of us and how we shouldn't be ashamed of him or his gospel message either. And then we concluded our time last week by noting an interesting statement Jesus had to say about some of the disciples with him not tasting death until they see the kingdom of God. And this morning we're going to pick up where we left off by looking at a well-known event that took place up upon a mountaintop with Jesus and a select group of his disciples. A, a possible explanation to the interesting statement Jesus made at the end of our time last week. Our text this morning is going to be Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. And the title of our study is going to be Mountain Highs, okay? Mountain Highs. As we go through our text, we're going to highlight some of God's desires for us that we can glean from this mountaintop experience that uh, Jesus and the disciples, a select group of his disciples were a part of, so. I want to invite you to rise to your feet, to follow along in your Bible as I read from mine. Luke writes the following in chapter 9, verse 28. Now it came, came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing 
what he said. Verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together, to open our Bibles, to read your word. Lord, we do thank you that your word is powerful, Lord, that it is is living, Lord, and that it is active, and Lord, it is faithful to accomplish that which you set it forth to do. And so, Lord, we are here, yielded to you and, and your word this morning. May it do that work it needs to do in us. May we be yielded and open to that work you desire to do. Give us ears to hear all that your spirit would desire to say to us as he leads us in your truth. Lord, I pray that you might be with me as I bring forth your word, that I might bring it forth with clarity and understanding. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us all, that we might just know what it is your spirit's desiring to say to us collectively, corporately, as a church family and church body, and individually as well, as we consider our own walk with you and our relationship with you. Lord, we give you our morning, we give you this service, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Verse 28 opens up, detailing for us events that took place about eight days After Jesus had promised some would not taste death until they saw the kingdom of God. And we see Jesus take with him three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he leads them up a mountain to pray. Now, this is not the first time that these three disciples were chosen to go with the Lord on a special errand. Uh, When Jesus went to minister to Jairus' daughter, you may recall Uh, that he only brought with him Peter, James, and John. That was back in chapter 8 of of the Gospel of Luke. In fact, later on, when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray on the night in which he would be betrayed, he would bring with him these same three guys, Peter, James, and John. And it's interesting to me that it seems that Jesus would single out these men. No specific reason is given as to why these men were selected over, say, Matthew or uh, Andrew or Judas or, you know, any of the other uh, disciples. Perhaps it was because these were some of the first guys that were called to join him in the ministry, uh, although Andrew was part of that first group too, and so we might kind of say, well, why would Andrew not be part of that group? Or maybe it was because God knew how important a role these three men would play in the first century church. Some even suggest that it wasn't because these guys were so great that Jesus kept them close to him, but rather because these guys were the troublemakers amongst the group, and and Jesus had to keep them close to him so he could keep an eye on them, you know, After all, it is Peter that was always opening up his mouth and letting it get him into a lot of trouble. And we kind of see the same thing happen in our text this morning. He kind of blurts out some stuff, not knowing what he's talking about. Uh, And it was James and John that were given the nicknames of the sons of thunder. 
Okay, uh, later on in chapter 9, we're going to read about how they wanted to call down fire from heaven and consume these people because they didn't welcome them in their village. And so, you know, if any of the disciples needed some close supervision, I think you can make a strong case for these three. You know, it's more like, okay, I'm going to go away, but you three, you're with me, okay? Um, we're not going to give any opportunity for anything else to happen. You're, you're with me, okay? Maybe we don't know. We don't know why these guys were chosen. The scriptures, just they don't tell us, okay? But why these three were chosen isn't as important as noting the fact that these three men were able to be part of and witness some incredible things because they spent more time with Jesus than the other disciples. Because they spent more time with the Lord, they enjoyed a closer relationship with the Lord, and they got to experience more things uh, than others. And I believe the same is true today. That there are those that are closer to the Lord than others. And it's not that God plays favorites, right? Romans chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that God doesn't show partiality. But simply, there are those that spend more time with the Lord and make more time to be with the Lord. And for that reason, they are closer than others who choose not to spend as much time with the Lord or to make time for the Lord. You know, it's not that God loves them more or prefers them more. It's simply a matter of time spent in a relationship. The more time you devote to someone, the more you will experience with them. The more opportunities you'll have to be part of something that they are doing. You know, uh, sometimes for myself, I may uh, have to run errands. Uh, I'm at home and Pharaoh might say, hey, I need you to go, you know, run to the grocery store or hey, you know, I need to, working on something at the house, I got to run to NAFCO or something. And sometimes, uh, oftentimes, Pharaoh will ask, hey, take some of these kids with you, right? Um, you know, get them out, get them out. <laughs> Your mom, all these moms are nodding their head and dads are like, huh? Uh, yeah, you know, like, take them with you. <laughs> and so I'll extend the invitation to all of them, but not all of them usually want to come. Sometimes one will come with me and and sometimes because they're with me, right, I'll get them a little treat, maybe uh, a drink or an ice cream if we hit the convenience store, we'll stop at 7-Eleven. Maybe if we're at the grocery store, I'll let them know, hey, you want to pick out something, go ahead, pick out something, right? You know, now I don't get them something because I love them more than the others that, you know, chose to stay at home. They get something because they decided to spend some time with me, to be with me. Right? And it's just as simple as that. Because they were with me, they got something that the others didn't. Right? Some of them have picked up on that, and so they're a little bit more like, oh, I'll go. You know, Where are we going? Um, yes, I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that with the Lord. James 4.8 begins, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. The invitation's been given to us all to draw near to God, and he promises to draw near to us when we do so. God desires for us all to spend more time with him, to experience more things with him, but we need to want that too. Maybe you feel like your relationship with the Lord is, is dry, or perhaps you feel like the Lord is distant from you. I would ask a few questions of you. Have you been drawing near to him? 
Okay? Have you been setting aside time to pray and, and to seek the Lord okay? and, and to read his word? Are you spending time in fellowship with his sons and daughters, with your brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, oftentimes when we feel like God is distant, it's not because God doesn't want to be with us, but rather it's because we haven't taken the time to be with him. Okay? And we haven't been making it a priority to be with him. And so I think it's our first point we want to make here this morning is that we want to make sure that we're making, or we make spending time with the Lord a priority in our life. Knowing that the more time we spend with Him, the more opportunities we're going to have to see Him do incredible things, okay? not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Let's continue in our text. Take a look at our next verse, verse 29. It says, As He prayed, the appearance of His face was altered, and His robe became white and glistening. Here we read of something very amazing, okay? The transfiguration of Jesus Christ. This is a major event in the life of Christ. It's actually recorded for us not only here in Luke's gospel, but also in Matthew and Mark's gospel as well. Luke describes it as the appearance of Jesus's face being altered. That word altered, it simply means different or of another kind. While Jesus prayed, his face was was made different. It was altered. It's actually in Matthew and Mark's gospel uh, that they both read of how Jesus was transfigured. Okay, both Matthew's and Mark's gospel read of how Jesus was transfigured before them. And, and this is where we get the description of this event as the transfiguration of Christ. Now that word transfigured is an interesting word. It's the root Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis from, okay? And you guys remember that word, right? Uh, way back in uh, elementary school when we learned about the life cycle of the butterfly, right? How it begins as a caterpillar and then it goes through a metamorphosis and it churns uh, into a butterfly. A metamorphosis is a change in form or appearance. Jesus' appearance was seen temporarily in a transfigured form of his supernatural self. Luke describes, Luke describes how not only his face was altered, but his clothing as well. His robe became white and glistening. Okay, Mark's gospel says that Jesus' clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten. Matthew's account says that his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. The glory of the Lord was seen there on the mountaintop by the disciples as Jesus was transfigured. You know, the description of the event, it reminds me of the account in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. You may be familiar with it. There Moses was up on Mount Sinai, meeting with the Lord and receiving the Ten Commandments. When Moses made a request of the Lord, he said, Please, show me your glory. And the Lord graciously granted Moses his request. And he offered to Moses an opportunity to catch a glimpse of his glory as the Lord would hide him in the cleft of a rock he would cover Moses' face with his hand and then pass by and then remove his hand, giving Moses an opportunity to see just the backside of the Lord and his glory. You know, in chapter 34 of Exodus, Moses, he makes his way down the mountain after that 
time of seeing the glory of the Lord. And unbeknownst to him, his face is actually shining. After spending time with the Lord and hearing his word and seeing his glory, Moses' face, it, it shone because it was reflecting the glory of the Lord. When he would depart from the presence of the Lord, the shine in his face would actually begin to fade away. Now the difference with that event and this one is that Jesus Christ was not reflecting the glory of the Lord, but rather the glory of the Lord was radiating from within him. Okay? The word transfigured, it describes a change on the outside that comes from the inside. Jesus allowed his glory to radiate through his whole being, this great light shone out of him from within. You know, it's been said that the greater miracle of the transfiguration was not that Jesus revealed part of his divine glory on that mountaintop, but that Jesus was able to conceal that glory while living amongst men. You know, sometimes we lose sight of the fact of John chapter 1, verse 14, that teaches us that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus Christ walked this earth as a man and at the same time was 100% God. Jesus left his dwelling place in heaven. He came and he lived amongst men. He subjugated himself to this world. He allowed himself to be crucified so that we could be reconciled to the Father. As we read of and we think of you know, just his earthly ministry and what he did, sometimes we can forget that was God in the flesh walking amongst men. Don't lose sight of that incredible truth that we believe in. Back to that Greek word, okay, metamorpho. It's only used four times in all the New Testament. Two of the times in Matthew and Mark, it's referring to this event, okay? The other two times mentioned in Scripture do not speak about change in Christ, but about a change in you and me. It's in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorpho, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the only other time this word is used, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that same Greek word, into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, the truth of the matter is that just as Christ was transformed on that mountaintop, He desires that same work in our lives as well. That we would be transformed. That we would be, that there would be a noticeable change in appearance and form in our life as we surrender our lives to him as a living sacrifice. And we allow our minds to be renewed through the word. And we behold the glory of the Lord in worship. And we allow the spirit of God to work in us a metamorphosis, a molding and a shaping of our life into the image of the son, Jesus Christ. See, none of us are a finished product yet. This work of metamorphosis, it's an ongoing one in our lives. 
You see, at salvation, we were made into a new creation, but that new creation is still being transformed. It's still being molded and, and shaped. And we need to be open to the Lord's transforming work in our lives. Let's continue in our count. Read what else took place there on that mountaintop. Read with me verses 30 and 31. It says, And behold, two men walked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Verse 30 and 31 tell us that when Christ was transfigured, that two other individuals showed up speaking with Christ, Moses and Elijah. Luke describes the two of them as appearing in glory, meaning they too were shining brightly, just like Jesus was. And the topic of their conversation was Jesus' soon approaching death that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. We aren't told specifically what Jesus went up on the mountain to pray about, but it would seem that it had to do with his mission as the Christ. Jesus knew his time was coming soon, his mission to suffer many things, to be rejected, to be killed, and to rise on the third day. It was about to come upon him. And as he prayed to his father, most likely about his mission, these two show up in glory and they speak to him regarding his mission and his decease. You know, I do wonder why God sent these two. And I question what perhaps each of them had to share with Jesus. I think, you know, some of the wording here may give us a clue as to what they spoke of. That word decease, it's an interesting one. It's clearly speaking of his death. And yet in most of the other modern translations, it reads departure. Okay? And that is actually the literally meaning of this word. Maybe your translation that you're reading from says his departure. With this one word, Luke points us to Jesus' death and to Jesus' departure. And, and the interesting thing about this word is that it is the Greek word exodus. Okay? It's where we get our English word exodus from. This is an unusual word to use for death, yet it does help paint a beautiful picture for us. Because when we think of the word exodus, especially from a biblical perspective, right? It brings to mind the previous work and ministry of Moses as he was sent to Egypt to deliver God's people from bondage to slavery. As Moses delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt through their exodus, okay, from there, even more significantly, Jesus would deliver people from bondage through his exodus from this life. Through his exodus, Jesus would grant deliverance from the bondage of sin to all who would place their faith in him. I'm sure Moses must have encouraged him and reminded him of that work of deliverance that he was going to accomplish. For Elijah, I, I can't help but think of his own departure. If you're familiar with his account, you know that it was a, a chariot of fire appeared and separated Elijah from his disciple, from his follower, Elisha. And then he was taken up by a whirlwind into heaven. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 2 if you're not familiar with it. Jesus too would have to go through the fire. He would have to go through the pain and suffering of the cross. He too would be separated from his followers and taken up to heaven after his resurrection in the ascension, rising up into the heavens as his disciples stood by watching the whole thing. 
Maybe Elijah spoke to Jesus about that, describing what it was like for him as the Lord, you know, called him to heaven and he departed from his own disciple, perhaps to reassure Jesus and comfort him, knowing that it would all be worth it and that it was all part of the plan God was working and had been working since the very beginning. Again, you know, this is speculation. I want to be clear on that. But I do think it's interesting. We can't say with certainty what exactly what was talked about. We can only imagine what they were, the finer details of their conversation. What we can be certain of, though, is this. That God sent these two men to minister to Jesus and to speak to him. These two were said to have been talking with Jesus. The phrase talked with, it's one word in the Greek, it's the word sileleo. It means to speak with or to commune with or to confer with. And I love the picture that this creates for us. Jesus was praying to the Father and the Father sent two people Jesus' way who had been used by the Lord in similar ways and had shared similar experiences to what Jesus was facing. You know, God does the same still today in our lives. When we pray and are looking for direction, for helps, for help, perhaps encouragement or strength to overcome a, a difficult challenge, he often sends others into our lives to help minister to us and comfort us, to commune with us and let us know of their own stories of how God saw them through and how God will see them through. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians the following about our Lord and how he works this way. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, God works in our lives, bringing comfort and hope so that we may in turn share that same comfort and hope with others as they go through their own challenges, as they go through their own seasons, their own difficulties that are much like the ones we've been through. And we can come alongside them and we can say, I've been there. I've seen God get me through this and he's going to get you through this too. Moses and Elijah were sent to Jesus to commune with him, to speak to him, and no doubt comfort him as they looked to the cross and the mission that lied before Jesus. And maybe... Just maybe, God wants to use you to be a Moses or, or to be an Elijah, to someone who's praying and seeking out the Lord. Maybe God would want to send you to, to simply speak with them, to comfort them, to reassure them that God is with them, that God is at work, that God is faithful. Let's be open to that in our lives, okay? Let's be those that look to minister and comfort others and share with them our lives and say, you know what, I've been there, I've done that. I'm, let me share with you what God's done in my life because I think it will be a comfort and encouragement to you. I pray that we could be like Moses and Elijah. Let's continue in our text. Take a look at our next verses, 32 and 33, as we discover what this event was like for the disciples. Verse 32 says, But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, 
Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. <laughs> kind of normal for Peter, right? Um, while Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, it would appear that his disciples had dozed off. The text tells us that they were heavy with sleep, and this won't be the last time that these three fall asleep while Jesus spent time in prayer. Um, the same will happen again with Jesus brings these three into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, hey guys, I want you to come with me, and we're going to pray, okay? And he goes off and prays, he comes back, and he finds them. What are they doing? They're sleeping. <laughs> you know, these three nearly missed out on seeing this incredible display of the glory of the Lord up there on the mountaintop because they were too busy sleeping. <laughs> what a shame it would have been for them to miss out. You know, as I think about that, I often wonder how much we miss out on because we're perhaps too sleepy, too lethargic when it comes to our own prayer life. How much are we perhaps missing out on when we're sleeping and we ought to be praying? That's something to perhaps consider, something for us to chew upon a little. Well, by the grace of God, the glory that was radiating from Jesus and shining through Moses and Elijah was enough to waken them. Okay? Have you uh, ever been in a heavy sleep in the dark and then all of a sudden someone turns on a, a really bright light? Okay? That can uh, be quite alarming and, and scary. And uh, uh, it takes a few seconds for us to really understand, realize what's going on. It takes time for our eyes to adjust and take in all that's happening. I imagine that it was, that's what it was like for Peter, James, and John. They're like, whoa, what's going on? And they're like, you know, I'm trying to focus in and see what it is, everything is. This bright light they were awakened by, it, it took them some time to adjust and, and to soak in everything that was happening. As things came into a focus, they were able to see Jesus and his glory. And they saw Elijah and Moses who stood by with him as well. You know, Sometimes I, I, when I do my Bible studies, I often ask questions of it. And sometimes I ask questions that I don't find answers to, and you have to just bear with me, okay? I read this, and I think to myself, and maybe some of you would think this way too, but one thing that I wonder is, how did Peter and the disciples know that the two individuals were Moses and Elijah? Okay? When, when Peter speaks of these two, he correctly identifies them as Moses and Elijah, Okay, no introductions are given that we read of, and so it is a bit of a, a mystery. Okay, it's not like, you know, they had name badges that said, you know, hello, my name is, and then Moses was written on there, and another one, and then Elijah, you know, and it's like, oh, and now I know. I, you know, it just makes me wonder, how did they know? Um, although Scripture does not tell us in this account, I believe that Peter and the other disciples were given a glimpse into what it will be like when we are in heaven, when we are face to face with the Lord. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 tells us, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. You see, when I, you and I go to heaven, we will see and we will know fully. Those that are there in heaven with us, we won't need name badges to recognize them. and say, oh, Who are you? We'll, we'll know who everybody is. We will see and know in full. And perhaps this is how we could explain Peter's knowledge of the identity of these two individuals with Jesus. God just gave them this supernatural you know, revelation, and they knew in that moment. Um, that's not what the Bible is saying. It's just a, a plausible explanation and something that makes me just wonder. 
Well, as the disciples were looking on with amazement and awe and even some healthy fear, the conversation between Jesus and the two appeared to conclude and they began to part ways. And that's when Peter blurts out these words about setting up three tabernacles, one for the Lord and one for Moses and one for Elijah. You know, and this is somewhat par for the course when it comes to Peter. He's always very quick with his words and often uh, opened up his mouth without first thinking things through a little bit. Uh, Peter realized that it was good for them to be there. It was good that they got to see and be part of something incredible, something miraculous in the transfiguration. And as he saw this moment passing, as Moses and Elijah were parting ways, Peter came up with this idea to build these tabernacles. Uh, You know, if you're not familiar, a tabernacle was basically like a tent. It was an abode, a dwelling. You know, the tabernacle of the Old Testament was the center of worship before the temple was built. You'll recall that the tabernacle, it would travel with the Israelites and they would set it up, uh, worship the Lord, and then tear it down when the Lord directed them onward. Why would Peter want to build three tabernacles up on that mountain? We're not told specifically why. But let me suggest to you that it was because he saw that this moment was passing and he wasn't ready to let it go. No doubt they were in awe to to see something as amazing as the transfiguration of Jesus and the appearance of Moses and Elijah. As Peter testified, it was good to be there. And while they witnessed it, they probably were just soaking it all in. But once Peter noticed it was drawing to an end, he called out with this desire to make tabernacles, places of dwellings for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And we get the sense, you know, from Luke's account and the other Gospels that what Peter was speaking of, well, he was speaking before really thinking. It was a last-ditch effort to perhaps get Moses and Elijah to stay there so that they can continue to see and, and be part of what was going on. You know, I can understand where Peter's coming from. Maybe you can as well. Have you ever had one of those mountaintop experiences that you just really didn't want to end? If possible, you would have set up your very own tabernacle there and you just would have stayed there as long as you could. Or maybe it wasn't necessarily one specific moment or experience, but perhaps a season in your life. A season that was just rich and and awesome, okay? And God was just doing incredible things and you longed for it to never end. You know, I've experienced that over over and over again in ministry, especially ministering to military communities. While in Okinawa, the Lord brought a number of incredible people into my life, people that I wish never had to leave, but thanks to the U.S. government, they were leaving usually every three years. And if we were lucky, we'd get them for six years. I've experienced that here in Iwakuni as well. Families that have come into our lives and have had an incredible impact upon us. The seasons we had with them were amazing, and I didn't want them to end. I didn't want to see them go. You see, I understand why Peter would say, let's build some tabernacles and make this moment last for as long as possible. Maybe you're here this morning, here at Calvary Chapel, Iwakuni, but really you wish you were back in the States. 
back with family, back with all your friends, back at your home church, you know, where the fellowship was filled with friends that were more like family. God was moving mightily, and if given the opportunity, you would have never left. I understand. But let me warn you about something. The problem with this type of thinking is that the Lord was moving on. You see, Jesus had completed his conversation with Moses and Elijah. They were departing. The Lord had new things to do, new people to meet and speak to. He had a mission to complete. He had a greater picture in mind than just that moment. And the same is true for us. You see, those incredible moments we have in life where we see God just do awesome things or those seasons in life where God's just moving mightily, they're just that. They are moments, and they are seasons. They have a beginning, and they have an end. And then God moves on to new moments and new seasons. As I said, the problem with wanting to remain in a moment or in a season is that the Lord is moving on, and He wants to create new seasons and new moments. Seasons and moments that can be just as incredible and just as awesome as the previous ones. But if we are stuck in the moments and in the seasons of the past, we're going to miss out on the new ones the Lord wants to show us now. Let's not make the mistake of trying to make a moment or a season last a lifetime. When the Lord moves, we need to move too. You know, I believe with all of my heart that God is moving here in Iwakuni. And I don't want anyone to miss out on all that the Lord's doing because we're stuck in moments and seasons of the past. God's doing something new here, you guys. I'm excited. I'm a little nervous, I'll be honest. The Davis family, they're getting ready to depart from us uh, next month. They've been here. They've been a rock in this ministry for the last six years. God's doing a new work sending them uh, back to Okinawa. Uh, This hasn't been announced yet, but Pastor Nick's going to be leaving us as well for a season. Uh, Pastor Nick, uh, some of you know, some of you don't know, but he's been engaged for the last couple years. His fiancée lives in the Philippines. Well, she got approved to travel to the U.S. Um, And so Nick is going to go to the U.S. He's going to get married. We're very excited for him. But it takes time to process paperwork and uh, they're going to have to apply for her to be able to come back and enter in the country. Right now, Japan's borders are somewhat in flux. So we don't know how long he's going to be gone. But we're praying God's going to bring him back. Really praying (laughs) uh, very much so. But you know, God is just doing something. He's doing something new, something exciting. He's moving other people on and he's raising new people up. You know, we just got Pastor Nick this last year and, you know, uh, we're excited to have him and what God's doing in in and through him, but he's raising up other people within the body. Can I encourage you guys? Okay. Hang out. Be a part of it. Watch the Lord move and let him use you in this new moment and in this new season. It can be just as good as those old ones, I promise. Let's continue our text. Read with me verses 34 and 35. It says, While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. 
And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. As Peter was still speaking, a cloud appeared and the Lord's voice came out of the cloud declaring, This is my beloved son, hear him. I love what the Lord does here, you guys. When Peter was all caught up in the moment and the wonder and the awe of Jesus being transfigured and Moses and Elijah being there, God realigns Peter's focus. Peter, the focus isn't upon seeing the miraculous or seeing Moses and seeing Elijah and everything else that's transpired on that mountain. The most important thing is my son and hearing his word. You know, so many times, I think we, you know, we want to be awed. We want to be amazed by signs and wonders. We want to see evidence of God's work through special miracles and whatnot. When God seems to be saying here, hey, the most important thing is my son and hearing his word. The book of Hebrews opens up in verse 1 and verse 2, and it says the, the following, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now, here was Moses up on the mountain. What does Moses represent? God speaking to man through the law. Here was Elijah up on the mountain. What does Elijah represent? God speaking to man through the prophets. How did people normally divide and speak of the Old Testament in Jesus' day as the law and the prophets? What Hebrews is saying is that God was changing the way he communicates with man. It used to be through the law and the prophets, but now it will be through Jesus Christ, his son, the word become flesh. We must realize that the most prominent way and oftentimes some of the most amazing ways God reveals himself is not through miraculous signs and wonders, but through his word. Listen, if you want to see God reveal himself in awesome ways, spend some time in his word. Let it minister to your heart. Let it speak to you and the situations that you're facing in life. So many times I've been amazed at how God can speak to me and reveal himself and his plan to me through the simple reading of his word. I know that he will do the same for you as you take the time to focus on Jesus and to hear him, to hear him his word. Take a look at our final verse. We'll wrap this up. Actually, we're just going to look at the first part of verse 36. We'll tag the last part of verse 36 next week. It says, when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. When the father finished speaking and the disciples looked around, all they could see was Jesus. And I believe this was God's exclamation mark upon his exhortation to hear him. Exclamation mark. Father removed everything. The cloud was gone. The bright lights were gone. Okay, Moses was gone. Elijah was gone. All that was left was Jesus. He was the center figure. He was what was most important. He was what the Father wanted their attention to be upon. And that still applies today. Jesus is the focus. He is the main thing. He is the word become flesh. He's what it is all about. He's the main point. Okay? 
He is what life is all about. May our heart's attention and our focus be upon Him and growing in our relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we thank You for just this description of this miraculous event that took place up there on the mountain. Lord, this incredible event. Lord, where You were transfigured your glory radiated from within you lord and, and and peter and the disciples were just amazed and blown away and lord may we understand and comprehend the fact that you are god and you are god in the flesh lord may we not lose sight of that and Lord, I pray that you would just uh, reaffirm some of these truths, some of these things that we've gleaned from this study, Lord, how we would just prioritize spending time with you, Lord, how we would uh, just be people like Moses and Elijah and share our lives with them, share our own experiences with them of how you've worked in our hearts and our lives and how we might encourage others going through similar things. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't make the mistake that Peter made, trying to live in past seasons or past moments that you're moving on from, or that we'd be open to the new seasons and the new moments you want to make. And Lord, I just pray that you would be our heart's desire, that you would be our focus. Lord, there are a lot of different things, a lot of distractions in this world. Lord, I pray that as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. That you would minister to us and strengthen us that we may in turn minister to others. Bless these, your children here, gathered this morning, Lord. I pray that you'd continue just to speak to them as we each go our way. We lift up just our service this time in your word, thanking you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.